This message is entitled, Believe, Baptized, and Still Be in Bondage. Believe in Jesus Christ, be baptized in water in his name, but still be in bondage to bitterness and iniquity? How is this possible? This is fully possible because one can do all these things, but still not have their heart right before God. We're going to look at Simon the Sorcerer as a case study of a man who believed, was baptized in water, but whose heart was still not right before God. His heart had been unaffected by this believing and this baptism in water. And so his inner realm, the spirit he was born into, the spirit of iniquity, was still alive and active, causing behavior which was of a demonic kind. We will unpack Acts 8, 9 to 24. We will look to unpack key verses and expand on these key verses speaking to what is there so we can get a full reality of this posture of believing, being baptized in water, but still be in bondage in the inner realm. Let's read Acts 9 to 24 for this context. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all from smallest to greatest were giving attention to him saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic art. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Verse 24, but Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. From verse 9 to 11, we can see that Simon was somebody in the eyes of some. He was known by some as the great power of God because of the magic he was performing. He had gained much attention by the people of Samaria because of his magic arts, and he claimed to be someone great. He was a person people recognized, and he had a measure of status in Samaria. From verse 12 to 13, we see things start to shift as the people of Samaria start to believe the good news 
about the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus. Philip had been operating in the power of the Spirit, performing signs and wonders, casting out demons, healing those paralyzed and the lame, along with the powerful preaching of Jesus. People were starting to believe Philip's message and being baptized in water for the repentance of iniquity and sin. These people included Simon himself. Verse 13 says, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Simon left Samaria and followed Philip because he was captivated by what he saw Philip doing. He was amazed at the signs and the wonders, in awe and wonder of the supernatural, which was what he himself was known for. Remember, this man was what some called the great power of God. His entire background was in magic, and the eyes of his flesh were captivated by God's eternal, external power. It was the signs and wonders that motivated Simon following Philip. It wasn't the message of Jesus and the kingdom and seeing others receive salvation and come alive to God and his purposes. No, it was the power of the supernatural and his fascination with the possibility that he too may be able to do what Philip was doing. I mean, he had performed demonic magic and received accolades for this, so why not give this a try and see if I will be recognized for these also? We all have to take a good look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what is the true motivation of our hearts for why we are the follower of Jesus? So often, the true motivation of our hearts can stay concealed and hidden. We can so easily camouflage over the true core in the motivation of the heart with works for Jesus, signs and wonders, the sharing of our faith, etc., etc. Many are very good at concealing the true motivation of the heart, keeping it nicely tucked away. And if one is asked the question around this or prods another person to determine this, those whose true motive is self-serving and centered as a whole tend to get offended, angry, and very defensive. One needs to ask why oneself is this way. Why is this the case if one's motive is actually pure and right before God? Simon's motive was certainly impure and not centered in Christ, even though he believed and was baptized in water. And we see this come out and be addressed by Peter. We get to see Simon's inner realm come forth through behavior, which is lawlessness. And we will address this when we get to verses 20 and 24. Let's now unpack verses 14 to 19, precept by precept, and see what we can learn in relation to what occurs with heart, minds, beliefs, and ways. We will get to see God and man operating and allow this all to challenge our hearts. We can see in these verses, 14 to 19, that the people of Samaria received the word of God, the message of turning or repenting from their iniquity and sin. What they hadn't yet received was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is why Peter and John were sent to Samaria to lay hands on the people and see the baptism in the Spirit take place. What this means is that a person can be justified by what Jesus did at Calvary, but not be full of the Spirit or born of the Spirit. 
If we are not of the Spirit, we will not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. We won't be able to see the kingdom, the eternal realm, which the church is called to live from. We see in verse 17 that Peter and John started the laying on of their hands and the people were receiving the Holy Spirit. This is where we see Simon seeing the Holy Spirit coming upon people through the laying on of hands, and he offers money for the purpose of doing the same thing. He was still very functional in his inner realm. He says, give me this authority so I too can lay my hands on the people so they too can receive the Holy Spirit. Simon is captivated by his flesh, the lust of his eyes in this matter, and he offers money to the disciples for the authority to also lay hands on the people, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. As we are about to see, Simon is entrenched in his own iniquity still, even though he believed and confessed Jesus as Lord and was baptized. Verse 20 to 24 are the crux of this main message. Peter is about to rebuke Simon from a place of love and authority for this demonic behavior, which must be repented of. Let's read verse 20 to 24. Simon said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Let's unpack this verse by verse, line by line, and see what each verse holds for us. The key to verse 20 is this, you thought. Simon is living and leading his life from his own understanding. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. How much of our own thinking leads us astray? and manifest in behavior which is demonic, just like Simon's here. Peter was told by Jesus that he set his mind on man's interest, and he was to get behind him. In other words, get that demonic way of thinking behind me, because it is a stumbling block to me. When we lead from our own thinking, we instantly are moving in the opposite direction to him and his ways, which are demonic. It's quite fitting that it is Peter who is rebuking Simon, as it was Jesus whom rebuked Peter for a similar behavioral position. Peter had a reference for his own behavior in this manner. This is why God teaches us not to lean on our own understanding, our own thinking, and have our minds renewed by the Spirit. An unrenewed mind is a carnal mind, a worldly mind which appears anti-God. It will always deny, ignore, reject the truth and the way of God, for it cannot understand him or his ways. It's very clear that one can believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be baptized in water for the repentance of iniquity and sin, while still having the mind of man, the world, the flesh, the carnal, living opposite to him and his way. The mind is like a gate. It releases things or it closes things. It can give access while denying access. Verse 21 is heavily connected to verse 20, as we now see the heart come into play as well. 
the heart and the mind are heavily intertwined with one another, and there is an ordered pattern at play and unfolding. So often the mind has no chance to be renewed because the heart, which is the first place of understanding, is still uncircumcised, hardened, and rocky. Before the mind has any chance of being renewed by the Spirit, when the Word of God goes forth, the heart has already rejected and denied it. The heart is not open, so the mind is shut out. This is why the heart must be circumcised, crucified by Him and Him alone. This is why people can learn all about God, but never know God. We never know Him in a way that enables us to live like Him, because our hearts are still hardened with the spirit of pride, just like Simon's was, even though he believed in Jesus and was baptized in water for iniquity and sin. How can a person believe Jesus is Lord and confess that God rose him from the dead? Romans 10, 9 to 10. Be baptized in water for one's own iniquity and sin, but still have their heart not right before God. How is this possible? It's possible because although from God's perspective, the person has been justified by the blood of his son Jesus, being made right in his eyes, it doesn't mean the heart condition has changed from its original state. A person can believe in Jesus, be baptized in water, and their heart condition stays exactly the same as it was before the confession and the demonstration. The heart is untouched by the power of the very testimony of Jesus. This is the position Simon found himself in, and the words of Peter are the evidence of this in verse 23. These are the words, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Peter could discern the heart condition of Simon, and he called him out on it. It's a clear example of the mind and heart being connected and working in tandem in an anti-God way. Because the heart is full of bitterness and iniquity, even though Simon believes and was baptized, the mind, his thoughts, are still his own when it comes to operating in the power of the Spirit. And his mindset is centered and anchored in self, flesh, the demonic. And as we know, the Spirit and the flesh are in direct opposition to one another. The intent of Simon's heart was one of wickedness, self-gain, and an urgent need of repentance, which is interesting considering he would have verbally repented before confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and being baptized in water. It's one thing to verbally repent of the mind, making an intellectual decision, while it's a completely different reality to repent from the heart due to the receiving of the gospel through power, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's look at what Paul wrote in Galatians 1, 11 to 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. When one verbally repents from an intellectual position, the heart is unaffected and remains in its original condition. The position is the spirit of pride. This is the exact same position that Jesus addressed with James and John in Luke 9, 55, when he said this to them. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. When one repents from the living conviction of the heart, 
due to receiving the revelation of the gospel through Jesus Christ, the spirit of pride is crucified, killed, and a spirit of humility, which is poor in spirit, is birthed, formed, and begins to grow. This is what Matthew 5, 3 testifies to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Simon's confession was only of an intellectual position. Hence, he was still trapped and engulfed in the spirit of pride, and his behavior is the clear evidence of this. A person whose heart that is uncrucified by power, still to be circumcised through the revelation of the gospel through Jesus Christ, is not to have any part or portion when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, because they will ultimately, even if it is unintentionally, use it for their own glory. They will either abuse the reality of the Spirit in two ways. Firstly, for self-glorification and gratification, personal gain. Or secondly, and it can be unintentionally doing this in his name, but one's own way, leading oneself and others astray, never realizing it until the judgment seat of Christ for reward. We do this for our own sake, thinking it's for his sake. Either position is fleshly and ultimately sees you missing out on the life Jesus had for you now and in the future. The amazing thing is that God will allow both positions to operate while forever hoping and believing that both positions will cease to exist through repentance and we would all discover the true narrow way of the Spirit. What is encouraging from these passages is that we do see movement from Simon towards this repentance in verse 24 when we read these words. Pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you say may come upon me. When Jesus rebukes us, I want us to think about how we respond. The appropriate response from Jesus rebuking is repentance, which leads to revelation. But we can find ourselves rejecting the rebuke, which continues to lead to reason, and reason is human logic, human wisdom, which is demonic. This is the position that Simon found himself in. I want to remind us that Simon believed that Jesus was Lord. He was baptized in water but his inner realm was still unaffected, was still in its original state. So he was found in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. This is not to be the position for us as sons, as his believers. We are to be crucified on the inside through the gospel, through the revelation of Jesus Christ, releasing us from that spirit of pride, that bondage of iniquity, so we can enter into the fullness and lay hands on and possess all that is in Jesus Christ now and for the future. We are to press on towards the upward goal of Christ that's in Christ and live these lives as sons today. I hope this encourages us all.